Okay, good evening. Um, just a scheduling note before we begin. So next week, um, what are we on today? We're July 7th. So July 14th will be the last class before we take a little break for the summer. Um, so we're still on next week, but then we're gonna take, I think maybe about five weeks off and we'll resume after that August 25th. So that's maybe six weeks, something like that. So from, so we'll still have the class on July 14th, but then we'll take a break until August 25th. Okay, and now with that, we can begin. Um, all right, so as we progress in our studies of tefillah in general and specifically the Amidah, the Shemona Esrei, so we now will make a little shift from looking at what we could call more personal prayers, um, which aren't always personal. We talked a lot about praying for others, but they're still dealing mostly with individuals. Um, you know, grant wisdom to individuals, forgive individuals, cure, heal the sick, heal individuals. Now we're shifting to a more national perspective, the, the national needs of, of the, us as a, as a nation, as a people. And so the next series of blessings are all going to deal with really our, our greatest hope and dreams, which is hope and dream, which is the coming of Mashiach, the bringing of the Messiah and all that that brings with it. So the next, the blessing that we'll look at today has to do with the ingathering of the exiles. Um, we're gonna talk about restoring the court systems, the Sanhedrin, the destruction of the wicked, the exalting of the righteous, the restoration of Jerusalem and the establishment of Mashiach. And all of these, all of these things are really kind of pointing in, in the one direction, which is to the era of the Messiah, of, the, of Mashiach, the Messianic era. And in truth, we have many prayers that, that relate to this, besides for these chunk of blessings in Shemaga Esrei, which are all kind of pointing in this direction, but we have prayers throughout the, the liturgy that, that speak to this. And uh, I think in order to really approach this, we have to have at least a, a basic understanding of what, what is Mashiach? What, what is that? What is it that we're praying for? What does it mean we want Mashiach? And, and, and what, what, what is this era going to look like? So I want to spend some time talking about that as much as, as much as, 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 as I know, um, which is obviously very limited, but we'll have a little bit of an understanding and then we'll know at least what it is that we're praying for. Um, in truth, the, the belief in a Mashiach is one of Maimonides, the Rambam's 13 essential principles of faith. The Rambam lists 13 things that every, every Jew must, must believe in. And, and if we don't, then it's something to, to work on, to research, to investigate. And so it starts with belief in God and, and different levels of that and, and belief in the Torah and belief in the prophecy of Moses. And, 
And eventually we get to number 12, which is the belief in Mashiach. And if you look on the source sheet, so I quote the, the, the Rambam Maimonides writes, we believe and affirm that Mashiach will come. That is the beginning of number 12. One should not think he is detained, as in he's not coming. Rather, if he should tarry, await him. That's a verse in the prophets, Chavakuk. If he waits, then we continue to await him. And we actually may be more familiar with that line from what we call the anima means, the, the 13 statements of belief, which are based after the Rambam's 13 principles of faith. They are not written by the Rambam. I don't think we actually know who, who wrote them, but they're based on, on the Rambam and commentaries try to, you know, try to determine are they exact? Are there any differences? Are they really fully expressing Maimonides' intent? But in any event, a very famous one is Anima Ming Bemuna Shalema, I believe with full belief, in the coming of the Mashiach. And, uh, and even though, even though he is he, 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 delayed, he's not, he's, I'm, even though he, he's, he's, I'm waiting, um, but despite that, I, I await him. And uh, these, these words were made famous um, in particular during the Holocaust when so many people saying that on the way to their to their deaths, but that's that's a uh, an essential part of our faith, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it in the context of of some of the difficulties that we've experienced um, of how holding on to that belief is is so essential. Um, but before we before we go there, let's talk a little bit about about what that is. What is that belief? I'll just add that the, in that same source, in still number one, the Rambam goes on and he says, first of all, that one must also believe that the Mashiach will surpass all the kings who have ever ruled in terms of his grandeur, his greatness, and his honor. We'll talk about more what, what that is um, as we talk about that era, what he's going to do. Um, but the, really, I want to point out the next line, which is what makes it very relevant to our class, which is, Man should exalt love and pray for him. According to the prophecies, prophecy about him by all the prophets from Moshe Rabbeinu to Malachi. So, so many prophets have prophesied about the coming of a Mashiach. And, uh, and therefore, Maimonides says, part of believing in Mashiach is praying for Mashiach. And that's what we do. We pray for Mashiach. And it's also um, built into the liturgy of the daily Amidah, the daily Shemang Astray. Um, just to, to get it out of the way, what does the word Mashiach mean anyways, right? That's probably an important question. The word Mashiach actually just means anointed. So we had high priests, Kohen Gadol was anointed and is sometimes called the Mashiach Hashem, the, the anointing one of God. And also the kings of Israel are anointed with a special anointing oil so Saul Shaul is repeatedly called the Mashiach Hashem, the anointed one of God. King David frequently refers back to Shaul, the previous king, as the anointed one. How could, how could you extend your sword against the anointed one of God? So the kings of Israel are called Mashiach. They're, they're anointed. And, uh, and 
and King David, David HaMelech, was also Mashiach Hashem, an anointed one of God. So when we, when, when we speak about the Mashiach, really that's just a way of referring to the one who will be anointed as, as, as King of Israel and return the sovereignty of Israel to, to, to its former state. And, uh, and we'll see what else comes with, comes with that. Now, another thing I want to just point out before we, before we get too involved is number two, which is that in the course of describing sort of what that era will look like, the Ramba makes the following comment, which should somewhat guide us in our study today, which is as follows. Number two, a person should not occupy himself with the Agadot and homiletics concerning these and similar matters, nor should he consider them as essentials, for study of them will neither bring fear or love of God. So I don't know exactly what he means, you know, what, what exactly he's concerned about, but what he's what what Maimonides is saying is we don't need to get overly involved in all the details of, of Mashiach. A lot of it is unclear. There's many passages in the Talmud. Some seem to contradict each other. Exactly how things will play out, Ramam says, we don't know exactly. It's not so important for us to know exactly. Our goal tonight is not to, to say this is how it's going to happen. This is exactly what's going to happen, but rather to paint for ourselves a general picture to know what we're, you know, on, at least on a elementary level, what it is that we're, that we're hoping and praying for. We don't need to know all the details and exactly the order of how things will play out. And that's not, it's not for us. It's, it's not, uh, it's not really something that we could know. So it's, as we say, it's above our pay grade, right? That's, that's a little bit beyond us, but to get a, a basic idea, I think, and from some original sources, is uh, I think very very worthwhile. Um, one more introductory note, um, going back to 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 the, as I mentioned the Holocaust and things like this, some of the great difficulties of our of our history. So. I, I was reading an article on this topic based on the teachings of, of uh, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, who was the head of the yeshiva near Israel in Baltimore. He was the brother of Rabbi Noah Weinberg, who was the founder of Aish. Um, so, so this article is based on the teachings of Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg. And he writes that um, part of accepting the sovereignty of God is being aware of God's love, concern, and providence. If we think that God is indifferent, that God doesn't care, so then um, that's we're, we're not looking at God correctly, and we and 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 we can't look at at history correctly in that way. Um, as, as, as we know, we've, as a people, experienced many great challenges and many great tragedies. And if we doubt God's providence, so then we don't, then, then it becomes meaningless to us. You know, again, we don't know why things happen, but we know that God is, is arranging events, that there is a reason why things happen. If we believe in God's providence, then we believe that things happen for a reason. Um, what I think, what he, what he goes on to say is that what's 
central to this is the belief in a the belief in Mashiach. He, he writes that without the certainty of the messianic era of a Mashiach, so then these questions remain unanswered. You know, what what's this? Why did this happen? So we don't have the answer of like how this is going to help or how this is going to bring about Mashiach, but we do know that there's an end in there's an end game. There's a there's there's there is a finish line. And uh, and this helps us relate to Hashem, relate to God as a loving father, as a caring father. It it foretells for us that there will be a time when the whole world will recognize God's love and understand more the providence that helped to shape history. And this not only provides hope for us um, during difficult times that, like I said, you know, people can sing this on their way to their deaths and, and sort of be filled with, with the hope that there's, there, there's, you know, there's, there's some, there's something for us in the end, but, uh, but also it changes our perception of God. It, 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 we, we then perceive God as, as, one who is arranging history to bring about this final era, and uh, and it's this belief that 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 carries us through all the all the different. So it's it's very central to both our you know getting us through the hard times and also our 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 perspective of God and realizing um, and relating to the idea that God you know despite some of the, the difficulties that we see but still knowing that God is loving and caring and is ultimately going to, to bring the world to a situation where we could look back and understand better. So that's a uh, introduction. Now, what does the era of Mashiach look like? What is it going to bring? So we're gonna do a lot of text-based today because we could just read it from the Rambam, from Maimonides who goes through and uh, that will help us at least understand one perspective. I should know, as I mentioned, there's many different passages in the Talmud that refer to the era of Mashiach. Some of them are contradictory and, and openly contradictory. You know, there's disputes. One, one opinion Talmud says it's gonna look like this. One opinion says, no, it's gonna look like that. So, so the Rambam Maimonides is choosing a certain, a certain opinion that he's going with, and there may be other opinions, again, we don't know for sure. We don't, we can't know, but but this is one, one perspective, and this is the perspective of the Rambam. So he writes, in the laws of kings, as I mentioned, Mashiach is going to be a king of Israel from the line of King David, the Davidic dynasty. So Rambam writes, in the future, the Messianic king will arise and renew the Davidic dynasty, restoring it to its initial sovereignty. He will build the temple and gather the dispersed of Israel. So three things that he identifies. I don't know if these are in order or out of order, but three things that he identifies are um, a king, you know, restoring the sovereignty to Israel. Um, number two, rebuilding the temple. And number three, gathering in the Jews from exile. Then in his days, the observance of all the statutes will return to their previous state. We will offer sacrifices, observe the sabbatical and jubilee years. So according to all the particulars as described 
by the Torah that refers to what we call Shemitah and Yovel, the sabbatical year and Jubilee years, while there's still, at least the sabbatical year is observed, I think actually this, this coming year is a Shemitah year in Israel, or maybe even this year, the farmers, religious farmers take off the year, but it will be observed, I guess, in all its, with all its details in the time of the Mashiach, basically, we will have returned to the, sta the state that we were in when we first conquered the land of Israel, when, we, when King David reigned, and certainly when King Shlomo, King Solomon reigned, when things were really peaceful. So it'll be a return to that, to that state. Um, the, the idea of rebuilding the temple, offering sacrifices, it may seem a little bit foreign to us. It's concepts that we're not really used to nowadays. But it, like, like many things in Judaism, if we learn more about it um, and we seek to try to understand it, then we come to appreciate it more. And I think certainly if we experience it, then we would appreciate it more. So we may just have to wait to, to actually experience it, to be there at the temple, see it happen, and then we will have, have a great appreciation for it. Um, now, the Rambam here, writes, and this is, relates back to that he, this is a principle of faith. He says, anyone who does not believe in him or does not await his coming denies not only the statements of the other prophets, but those of the Torah and Moses, our teacher. The Torah testified to his coming. As Deuteronomy Dvarim 30, three through five states, God will bring back your captivity and have mercy upon you. He will again gather you from among the nations, even your diaspora is at the ends of the heavens. God will gather you up from there and bring you to the land. So here, the Torah doesn't make a direct reference to a person who is the Messiah, the Mashiach, but it does reference the idea of the ingathering of the exiles, that God will bring us all back to the land of Israel, um, which may actually tell us something that it's not necessarily so much about the person as about the national um, return and and the return to to that to that state of sovereignty and and of observance. Um, I have a question. Please. Does that mean that um, what we know today is our synagogues and our places of learning will have no relevance anymore? Excellent question. Um, so. The question is, will, will our synagogues and places of learning have reference in the days of Mashiach? So there is actually a tradition in the Talmud that all of the synagogues and places of learning, the Batik Niasios, Beit Knesset, and the Bate Midrashos, the Beit Medrash, will all be picked up and moved to Israel. So so according to that, they will absolutely still be relevant because, but they, were, they will now be located in Israel. Now, um, we'll see again a little bit soon, you know, what we might be doing during that, during that time. But we see already, I guess, from that, that, that the, the, the places of, of prayer and places of study will still be very much relevant. And that teaching says that actually we'll still be able to, to, to study in, and, and pray in the places that we're familiar with, just will be in Israel. Oh, and who, and as for those left behind, who don't get um, brought over to Israel, the other non-Jewish people, what will happen with them, whether they're righteous okay. or not in general? Good, good question. We'll, uh, we'll hopefully get to it soon. 
Okay. Um, fine. Now, um, oh, I just want to point out the language here. He, the, the, the Rambam says, my mommy, he says, anyone who does not believe in him or does not await his coming. So that's an interesting thing that it's not just he's saying that we should believe in him, that we're obligated to believe in him, that if we believe in the Torah, we believe in Mashiach, but also that we should await him. Now, where does that come from, right? Why, if I believe in him, okay, I believe in him. I believe in what the Torah says. Why, why is it also essential to await the Mashiach? And that's also expressed in the Animam that I mentioned before. Even though he delays, I still, I wait for him. Why is that important? But what that really expresses is that we don't just believe in it, but we appreciate it. And we, we, we have some level of understanding of the importance, the significance of this. And if we understand the significance, then we will await it. So, so part of, so, so there's believing in it and then there's appreciating. And if we appreciate it, then we will certainly await it. Okay, continuing where there's a three now. So it says, and these are paragraphs in, the, in chapter 11. So I skipped two, I went right to three. One should not presume that the Messianic King must work miracles and wonders, bring about new phenomena in the world, resurrect the dead, or perform other similar deeds. Now, Maimani says Mashiach is not necessarily going to bring about any miracles, um, at least not open miracles. He may, but we don't have to presume that he will. He actually brings an interesting proof to this. He says that we see that from the fact that um, that many of the sages, like Rabbi Akiva, believed that Bar Kochva, or sometimes called Bar Koziba, during the time of the Romans, was the Mashiach. And he didn't perform any miracles. And yet Rabbi Akiva believed that he was Mashiach. So says Maimonides that we see that, that even, uh, even if he doesn't perform miracles, it's possible that he could still be the Mashiach. By the way, some commentaries say that Rabbi Akiva wasn't necessarily wrong. Just because, he ended, just because Bar Kochva ended up being killed and did not end up being the Mashiach doesn't mean that he wasn't fit to be it could be that he could have been the Mashiach, but they didn't live up to the standard and didn't deserve it. So, so that's just a, a side point. But our point here is he does, he's not necessarily going to bring about great miracles, um, new phenomena. He's not necessarily going to resurrect the dead. That, again, resurrecting the dead is its own principle. And that comes later, comes after the Messianic era. But, but not necessarily before. It's possible that there's some resurrection before, different opinions about that, but, but according to my Maimonides, not necessarily. Number four, if a king will arise from the house of David. So here's kind of the, the necessary conditions for him to be Mashiach. He has to be from the house of David, who diligently contemplates the Torah and observes its mitzvot as prescribed by the written law and the oral law as David his ancestor, will compel all of Israel to walk in the way of the Torah and rectify the breaches in its observance and fight the wars of God, we may with assurance consider him Mashiach. So first of all, we have someone, a king from the house of David, who himself is very learned and, obs and observes all the mitzvot. And he's able to 
compel or um, inspire everybody to follow in the ways of the Torah as well. So there's definitely what he calls, we may with assurance consider him a Shia. We could be pretty sure, basically he's saying. But if he succeeds in the above and then also builds the temple and gathers in all the dispersed of Israel, then he's definitely Mashiach. So how will we know if the Mashiach has come? He has to fulfill all of these conditions. He will then improve the entire world, motivating all the nations to serve God together. So that's partial, a partial answer to your question, Sue, that the Mashiach will have, will have the ability to motivate all the nations. They're not necessarily part of the ingathering of the exiles into Israel. That's for the, the Jewish people who will then really truly be a light unto the nations. And, uh, but part of what the Mashiach will do writes the Rambam is that he will motivate all the nations to serve God. He quotes from the prophet Safania, I will transform the peoples to a pure language that they all will call upon the name of God and serve him with one purpose. If he did not succeed to this degree or was killed, he surely is not the redeemer promised by the Torah. If he does not accomplish all this, he is not the Mashiach. He is not the Messiah. I didn't include it here, but the Rambam then goes on to talk about Christianity a little bit. And he says that uh, that the uh, that the Christians believe that Jesus is or was the Mashiach, but he didn't fulfill these these conditions. So he says clearly, clearly he's not the Mashiach. And uh, he, he basically goes on to say it doesn't make any sense to think that he didn't fulfill any of these any of these conditions. Um, he says he. Um, he didn't gather in the disperse. He didn't strengthen the observance of mitzvot. He, uh, he caused Jews to be, so many Jews to be killed, to be scattered, the Torah to be changed, and, and many to, to err and serve, serve a God other than, than God. Clearly not the, the, what the Mashiach is supposed to do. Clearly not the Mashiach, he says. But then he says something interesting um, he, he gets into sort of this question of so then what why did this happen you know why why did God allow Christianity to, to come into the world and he says fascinating he says he says first of all God's intent is not within the power of man to comprehend we can't really know why why God does things um, but he says that ultimately all that happened as a result of Christianity and of Islam, who has their own uh, savior. So all of that, he says, will, will only serve to prepare the way for the coming of the real Mashiach, the improvement in the entire world, motivating the world to serve God. And he says, how? How would this help? So first of all, he says, everybody knows about the concept of Mashiach now. You know, they, they may have the wrong Mashiach, but, but at least they know about the concept. So that's already, they, they know about the Torah, they know about the Bible, right? Again, they have additions, but, but they know about the Torah. So there's a, there's a base that to, to work off of. They've been spread, he says, the furthermost islands. Again, Rambam, by the way, is, is, is writing in the, in the, like the 13th century, uh, 12th century even. Um, and, uh, and this is his assessment that, uh, that, uh, everything God does is for a reason. We can't really know God's intent, but 
but we can we can surmise at least that these things will help when ultimately the Mashiach comes. The fact that everybody's heard of this concept of Mashiach, they've heard of the Torah, and he's, he's suggesting that perhaps that has something to do with why why this has happened. Okay. Um, continuing into chapter 12 now. So still on the first page of the source sheet, he says, do not presume that in the messianic age, any facet of the world's nature will change or, or there will be innovations in the work of creation. Rather, the world will continue according to its pattern. So things will look pretty much the same. Nature will still function as it did. This is one of the points that's debated in the Talmud. Rambam sides with the, with the opinion that things will, will pretty much look the same. He says, although famous verse from Yeshaya, from Isaiah, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat. Even though the prophet says that, that's definitely not natural. It's not normal for, for a, a leopard to, to lie with a young goat and not devour it. He says they're just a metaphor. That's not actually, animals will still eat animals, but it's, but he says the interpretation is as follows. Israel will dwell securely together with the, I guess, formerly wicked Gentiles who are likened to a wolf and a leopard. Even those nations that have sought to destroy us in the past, but now, but with the coming of the Mashiach, so they will be at peace. Um, and he says they will all return to the true faith and no longer steal or destroy. Um, Okay, rather they will eat permitted food at peace with Israel. I'm not sure what he, I don't know if he means that everybody will keep kosher. I'm not sure why that would be necessary, but that's what he seems to say. So I'm not sure about that line. Um, similarly, other messianic prophecies of this nature are metaphors in the messianic era. Everyone will realize which matters were implied by these metaphors and which illusions they contained. So we have verses, they seem to, 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 to describe certain things about the times of Mashiach. We don't know which ones are, are completely literal, What which ones are metaphors, what the metaphors represent, what they allude to, what are the illusions? He says, we'll find out, we'll find out. No need to, we don't have to know everything. Okay, turning to the top of the next page, he says, the sages and the prophets not yearn for the messianic era in order to have dominion over the entire world, to rule over the Gentiles, to be exalted by the nations, or to eat, drink, and celebrate. Mashiach is not about us being the sovereign nation that has power over all the other nations. It's not about a big, great big party where we eat and drink and celebrate. So he says, what is it about? What is it that the sages yearn for? And therefore what we should yearn for when we think about Mashiach. Rather, he says, they desire to be free, to involve themselves in Torah and wisdom without any pressures or disturbances. So they would merit the world to come as explained in Hilchot Tshuva, which we'll, we'll read shortly. So he describes that, that the time of Mashiach is a time where we are free, at peace, to involve ourselves in spiritual pursuits, whether it's the study of Torah, so which, which is again, trying to, to draw near to God, to understand God's ways, what he calls wisdom, which again, I think is just getting to know God more, through Torah study, through prayer, um, but to be able to do that without any, any disturbances. And that helps us merit the world to come. So we get like a, a booster almost. The times of Mashiach give us the opportunity to, to involve ourselves in spiritual, spiritual pursuits 
with free of, of pressures or disturbances and, uh, and thereby merit the world to come, which comes after Mashiach, the world of souls, where our souls return to God and bask in God's light, um, which happens also when a person passes away, but also happens after the era of Mashiach. In that era, there will be neither famine or war, envy or competition, for good will fall in abundance and all the delights will be freely available as dust. The occupation of the entire world will be solely to know God. Therefore, the Jews will be great sages and know the hidden matters, grasping the knowledge of their creator according to the full extent of human potential. As Isaiah states, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the ocean bed. Umala ha'aretz deya of Hashem. The world will be filled with the knowledge of God. So Rambam is describing that the days, the era of Mashiach is the time where, again, sort of things are taken care of. There's no famine, there's no war, there's no jealousy, competition, and uh, our needs are taken care of. And therefore everybody ocup will, ocup will be able to occupy themselves and will occupy themselves with, with God and godly pursuits and knowing God. And what I believe he's saying here in this last line, that therefore is that, therefore the Jews will be great sages, meaning will be leaders in this. The Jewish people, like we know, alike unto the nations, those who, who, who have the gift of the Torah, who, who have this way of accessing knowledge of God, and we can share that with the world, and the world will indeed turn to us in that time to, to learn more and to be filled with the knowledge of God. Okay, now elsewhere in in Maimonides and the Rambam. This is in also in Mishnah Torah. So, and this is in the laws of repentance, Hilchot Chuba. He also talks about this and he says, for these reasons, all Israel, their prophets and their sages have yearned for the messianic age. Why? So that they can rest from the oppression of Gentile kingdoms who do not allow them to occupy themselves with Torah and mitzvah properly. They will find rest and increase their knowledge in order to merit the world to come. In that era, knowledge, wisdom, and truth will become abundant. Again, quoting the same verse from Isaiah, the earth will be full of the knowledge of God. And in Yirmiah, Jeremiah, one man will no longer teach his brother, nor a man his colleague, for all will know me. I guess that kind of is different than what I was just describing, where people will, will learn from us. Here he's, he quotes a verse that people will know on their own. They won't need um, a teacher. And Ezekiel states, I will take away the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Again, like the Ramam already said, you have metaphors, you have illusions. We don't know exactly what these, these verses mean, but they all speak about this deep knowledge and connection to God. Um, I say knowledge and connection. The, the, in Hebrew, the word for knowledge to know is, is yidiya, is to know. But it's also actually a word for connection. Das speak, is, is, is a word that means connection. So when we say knowledge of God, we also mean Close, close connection to God. These changes will come about because the king who will rise from David's descendants will be a great master of not a greater master of knowledge than Solomon, and a great prophet, close to the level of Moses, our teacher. So interestingly, he's willing to say wiser than than Solomon, but he's not willing to say greater than Moshe because 
there's there's a principle of faith here that Moshe is and was the greatest prophet. The Torah testifies there will never be someone as wise as Moshe. Um, apparently, he understands that you can have someone as even wiser than Solomon. Um, but we're speaking about someone who he's a leader. He's a born leader, as they say, right? Tremendously wise, great prophet, and therefore he will teach the entire nation, instruct them in the path of God. He will have the ability to inspire and to teach and direct the entire nation. And all the Gentile nations will come to hear him. As Isaiah states, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of God's house shall be established at the peak of the mountains. All the nations shall float it. So not only will he teach the Jewish people knowledge of God, but he will teach the nations. And then Rambam concludes, nevertheless, the ultimate of all reward and the final good, which will have no end or de decrease. By the way, the reason why some of those words are hyphenated when they shouldn't be is because it's copy and pasted from a PDF where they were hyphenated. Um, is the life of the world to come? Actually, it's not. I'm not sure why they're hyphenated, actually. Is the life of the world to come? In contrast, the messianic age will be life within the context of this world with the world following its natural pattern except that sovereignty will return to Israel. So again, he repeats that, uh, first of all, he says, this is not the end. Mashiach is not the end of history. There's something afterwards, which is what we call the world to come. Okay. What the world to come is, is its own discussion, right? Some understand that it's purely a world of souls. Some understand that our souls leave and then come back to our bodies. And, but that's not, that's after Mashiach. But there's an era of Mashiach. And the Messianic age, he says, is within this world. It's, it, it's, it's within this world, within the constructs of this world, within the constructs of nature, natural pattern, except that sovereignty will return to Israel and all of these other things that we've added, there will be sovereignty. There will be a, a, a base amikdash, a temple. There will be an ingathering of the exiles. There will be this tremendous leader who can guide us and inspire us and teach us. And, uh, and secondly, and, and all the nations will turn to, to him and to us also to learn the knowledge of God. There will be peace. There will be um, prosperity. And we will be able to stay to be focused on the spiritual and to becoming close to God in preparation for the world to come. That, in a nutshell, at least according to Maimonides, is what Mashiach is and looks like, as much as we can say about it. And that's what we can be thinking about when we pray for the era of Mashiach. To me, it sounds tremendous. Um, now, we should add another. Can I ask a question? Please. What, what about somewhere where it says, like in the Christians base their whole religion on it, there's going to be a new covenant. God's going to have a new covenant with us. What does, can you tell us something about that? Um, I don't know. I haven't like, I haven't myself researched like the, okay. the, the anti-missionary. There, there are people who do that for a living. And they refute all the proofs of the Christians from different verses and show how they're taken out of context or misunderstood. Um, but 
I haven't looked into the, the particular verses and stuff. But, but there's a Jewish source that says, I mean, there's a Jewish source that says there's going, God's going to make a new covenant with right. the Jews. So, so what that means is, uh, is, is, is a question. Yes. So okay. that's what I'm saying. I haven't like looked into how we understand those, those oh, verses. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But I can give you after the class a good place that you can look if you're interested. Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, one other idea that uh, about the era of Mashiach, which I want to talk about, I want to mention is the commentary of Ramban, of Nachmanides, um, to Devarim 30, which is what, my, what, what the Rambam had originally said is the source for Mashiach in the Torah or for the idea of the ingathering of the exiles. So let's just read these verses in source number five here. So it says that Hashem, your God, will restore your fortunes and take you back in love. He will bring you together again from all the peoples where Hashem, your God, has scattered you. Even if your outcasts are at the end of the world, from there Hashem, your God, will gather you. From there he will fetch you. And Hashem, your God, will bring you to the land that your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers. Then Hashem, your God, will open up your heart and the hearts of your offspring to love Hashem, your God, with all your heart and soul in order that you may live. So, so here we have a description of the ingathering of the exiles. Even if your outcasts are at the end of the world, from there Hashem will gather you. And I particularly want to look at verse 6, where it says, Then Hashem, your God, will open up your heart and the hearts of your offspring to love Hashem, your God, with all your heart and soul in order that you may live. Seemingly, you may live would be in the, in, the, in the next world, in the world to come. But uh, what is this idea that he'll open your heart to love God with all your heart and soul? So Ramban, Nachmanides, writes as follows, number six, it is this which the rabbis have said, if someone comes to purify himself, they assist him from on high. I think he means because in the previous verses, it talked about actually us returning to God. And then it says, after we return to God, that Hashem will gather us and restore us. But uh, so that's the first line. The verse assures you that you will return to him with all your heart and he will help you. Then he says, this following subject is very apparent from scripture. Since the time of creation, man has had the power to do as he pleased, to be righteous or wicked, right? A fundamental concept is free will, is the ability to choose between good and evil. This grant of free will applies likewise the entire Torah period so that people can gain merit upon choosing the good and punishment for preferring evil, right? We're put in this world to be tested. That's the whole point that we can earn our, earn our reward, earn our connection to God and not have it given freely. If it's given freely, it's not appreciated as much. So when our, our souls return to God, having earned the, the relationship, so that allows for the ultimate reward. It would be less of a reward, less of a pleasure to experience God if it was given freely. We're put in this world to be tested. But he says, but in the days of the Mashiach, the choice of their genuine good will be natural. The heart will not desire the improper and it will have no craving whatever for it. This is the circumcision mentioned here. For lust and desire are the foreskin of the heart and circumcision of the heart means that it will not cover covet or desire evil. Um, I guess the translation here 
they say here that Hashem will open up your heart. But the literal translation is, is umal Hashem el kech, the word mila, circumcise. God will circumcise your heart. What does that mean? He'll circumcise our hearts. So Ramban says the circumcision mentioned here is the removal of lust and desire, selfishness, the yetzerara, the evil inclination, the foreskin of the heart. It means that we will no longer covet or desire any evil. So Ramban adds that in the time of Mashiach, we will no longer have that, uh, that desire to, to do evil. And, uh, and like we said, like we mentioned before, it's a time where we will be able to focus on the spiritual without not only the pressures of the nations, but also the, without the pressure of the Yetzer Hara. Um, there's a passage in the Talmud here, number seven, that says, after Rabbi Alexandri prayed, he would say the following. He would say, and this is meaning after you finish the Amidah, where you then insert your own prayers at the end. So this was his prayer. What did, what, what did he think about? What did he pray for? He said the following, master of the universe, it is revealed and known before you that our will is to perform your will. And what prevents us? Meaning deep down, every spuggy inside wants to fulfill God's will. Our will is to fulfill your will, God. And what prevents us? So two things, the yeast in the dough and the subjugation to the kingdoms. The yeast in the dough is a euphemism for the evil inclination. It refers to the evil inclination. We'll talk about soon why. And the second thing is the subjugation to the kingdoms. So there's two things that make it difficult for us to perform God's will. Our, our yetzer ara, our evil inclination, and the pressures from the, the nations that we live amongst. So he would pray, may it be your will that you will deliver us from their hands, both from the evil inclination and from the foreign kingdoms, that we may return to perform the edicts of your will with a perfect heart. And it seems, based on the two sources that we looked at, if you take them together, Rambam talks about, he, he goes at length and talks about the being free of the, of the subjugation of the nations and being sovereign and not being pressured, etc. And uh, Rambam, in this last source, talks about the freedom from that evil inclination, also to be experienced in the time of Mashiach. <clears throat> so let's now, with that sort of picture of what this messianic era looks like, so let's turn to the liturgy. So this is the 10th blessing in the Shema Nasseri, the Amidah. It's on the third page of the handout. And we read, Below the great shofar for our freedom. I don't want to get too involved in the concept of, of, of why a shofar and why the great shofar. There's certainly lots to, to discuss about that. But it's a, this, this is a reference to a verse. We, we read it as part of, the, part of the prayers on Rosh Hashanah. Um, the verse is, I'm just checking where it is. Um, It's in Isaiah, Yeshaya 27. It says, 
and it will be on that day that he will grow, he will blow a great shofar. So the prophet refers to the blowing of a great shofar. It's not to be taken literally. God doesn't take a ram's horn and blow it, but, uh, but somehow that's to represent the call to freedom, the call to liberty. We have a similar thing by the Jubilee year, and I think it's on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, this verse from, uh, from the Torah, which talks about, uh, which talks about sounding the, the shofar to, f- to free everyone at the Jubilee year. So, so the shofar represents a call to freedom. Freedom from what? What are we praying for? Tikab shofar gadol. Sound the great shofar for our freedom, for our liberty. <clears throat> freedom from what? So, so we just talked about, we're, based on that, that passage in the, in the Talmud of Rabbi Alexandrai, that there's kind of two things that we are subjugated to. We're subjugated to our own <clears throat> evil inclinations, and we're subjugated to the nations around us. And these affect us in different ways. We mentioned that the Talmud refers to the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, as the, the, uh, <clears throat> the leavening in the, in the bread. It's like chametz, leavening. Why, why is it referred to in that way? So Rabbi Zev Lef explains that the Yetzir Hara is compared to leavening because in essence, it doesn't alter our innate will and intention to fulfill God's will. Like Rabbi Alexandra says, our will is to do your will. But what stops us? The leavening, it stops us and the, and the nations. But what he's expressing is innately deep down, each of us desires to do God's will. Um, what, what happens is that the Yetzir Hara, what it, the way it functions is it superimposes other desires that suppress that spark, that suppress our, our desire. I guess the idea that he's saying is it's compared to leavening where it's like you start with something that's the, the essence of it and then there's stuff that grows on top of it, so to speak. But the, but the, the essence is, is, is still there. And, uh, and he says that in a certain sense, if we acknowledge that really deep down, we have a desire, we have a will to do God's will, and there's something coming from, I guess, inside or outside, but there's an inclination, there's an evil inclination, which is suppressing that deep desire. So in a certain sense, we are actually enslaved to that. Because that's not what we really want. What we really want is to do God's will. If we're not doing God's will, that means we're subjugated. We're enslaved to that Yetzir Hara. That's the, the first thing that we, we say, you know, blow the shofar of our freedom, free us from that enslavement to the Yetzir Hara. And secondly, the second deterrent, as mentioned in the, in the, by Rabbi Alexandrai, is the subjugation to the other nations, the other kingdoms. Now, this could work in two different ways. You know, in its simplest form, so throughout our history, we've been in, you know, thank God we live in a, in a wonderful country that allows us to observe the mitzvos, but it's not that way for all Jews even nowadays. And certainly throughout our history, there, you know, there have been many, 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 many situations where it's been very, very hard to observe the mitzvot. 
very challenging. And that's on the most simple level, free us from that subjugation of the nations who hold us back from being able to fulfill the mitzvos, who, who make decrees against us, who forbid it. That's on the, the most, the simplest level. But there's also, says Rabbi Leff, a more subtle way in which we are subjugated to the nations. And that is by their cultural influence, their lifestyles, which certainly have a great impact on us. He says, you know, when we talk about the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, that which inclines us to, to make certain choices that maybe are not what we really desire deep down. So usually those are instinctive desires for things that really are, are necessary and beneficial. But the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, it exaggerates the need. It, uh, it misguides us in how to access that need. You know, we, we have a need for food, but, we, but, it, but the Yetzir Hara tells us to eat things that we shouldn't eat or to, to access things that, in a way that's forbidden, stealing, whatever it might be, um, and other forms of pleasure and different things. That's, that's usually the the, the Yetzir Hara that's inside. It, it, it directs us after things that really it are, are good and necessary when approached in proper levels, with the proper guidance, with the proper framework. That's the, 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 the Yetzir Hara inside. The, the nations, what the influence of the nations is external and sometimes irrational, unnatural. The, 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 the desires that those create, it's not things that we even need or are necessary or, or make sense or are even rational. Styles and excesses and, and, uh, and interests and some of these things become attractive to us, tantalizing to us, but they don't really make any sense. It's just we were interested because others are interesting and the culture around us is interesting in them, but they don't actually, they're not things that we actually need or, or are beneficial to us. So that's the, that's the influence, part of the influence of the, of the nations around us. So we're, we're both subjugated to our Yetzir Hara, we're subjugated to the nations around us, both in a physical way and in the, their ability to influence us. And that is what we are praying for here Sound that shofar to free us from both of those aspects. And then we say, raise a banner to gather in the exiles. Um, sa nes actually is raise a banner. It's off on the lines there. But a nes is a miracle. It's also a banner. It calls, it, uh, it, it, it calls attention. It, uh, so, so there has to be what we seem to be staking here is that there has to be, there's first the sound of the shofar that announces our freedom. And then there's something that incentivizes people to, to now begin to, to, to gather, to return. And uh, we don't know exactly what that is. It could be a miracle. It could be something else, but something that incentivizes people to begin to return, to gather in the exiles and gather us together from the four corners of the world. The four corners of the world expresses the idea that, that there's all types, you know, from all corners, from all different places, and, uh, but the, and, and many different types of Jews, 
doing different things, different levels of observance, different ways of observance. But the, the, the banger and the call of the ingathering and the exile brings all those people together, brings everyone together from all the corners of the world in, in, in unity. And finally, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Mikabet Nidchei Amo Yisrael. Blessed are you, oh, Hashem, God, gatherer of the dispersed of his people of Israel, Nidchei, dispersed, God can get, will gather people from all ends, from all places, and gather them in um, when, it, when it comes time to, for the ingathering, the exiles, and the coming of the Mashiach. So, so it's something that Mashiach is something that we talk about, that we yearn for. We don't have a full picture of it, but hopefully now we have at least uh, a little bit of a, of a picture of it so that when we pray for it, we will uh, we'll have something to, to, to consider, something to focus on. And particularly in this time, we're coming up in a week from Sunday to Tishabav, the ninth of Av, which is the day that we mourn the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, that both both temples destroyed on Tishabav, and it's a time that we we think about the era of the of the Beis Hamikdash of the temple, and it's a time that we think about redemption, and so it's a time that we can especially focus our prayers on the redemption and the building of Jerusalem and the building of the Beis HaMikdash speedily in our days.